I'm glad you all are here. And children, you guys can be dismissed now, and that's children up through fifth grade. Um, Usually we just dismiss the children up through second grade, but even if you third, fourth, and fifth graders want to tag along, you guys are going to be, well, I'm not going to spoil the surprise. How's that? But uh, you're going to have a fun time, so I encourage you guys to go there. I'm glad that you're here because we are in week two of three of our series, Hope for Peace, where we today will be looking at the hope that is coming and reflecting on the one who brings us that hope. Have you ever been visited by someone and it just made your day? You know, maybe at a time when you were in the hospital and someone came by and it, it really meant a lot that they remembered and that they came by and showed up and showed that they cared. Or maybe it was a time when someone that you loved had, had passed away and, and an old friend came um, and offered their condolences. Maybe it was just a time when an old friend called you up on the phone and said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Uh, let's reconnect. Um, can we go to lunch sometime? I can think back to two times in my life where uh, I received a, a special visit that just meant the world to me. Uh, the first time that I remember was, was when I was just a little guy, maybe first, second grade, I, I'm not even sure, and, and I was sick. Um, was sick with what? I don't remember, but it was, it was more than just the, uh, you know, cold and sniffles, and your, your mom doesn't want you to go to school to get all the other kids sick. You know, when it's just that, um, then I love those days, actually, because I got to uh, hang out on the couch, watch TV, play Nintendo, drink lots of Sprite and ginger ale. You know, sick days were kind of fun um, when it was just a mild cold or something. But this time, I was, I was like legitimately sick, and, and I didn't get to stay on the couch. I had to stay in bed. I couldn't go outside. I couldn't play with my friends. It was just kind of miserable. And my, uh, my bedroom was on the front side of our house, um, so I could hear all the cars passing by on the road that we lived on, and I could remember thinking, man, everybody but me is just out there on the go, getting to go where they want to go, getting to be places they want to be, and here I am just stuck in my bed. Well, then one of those cars that was passing by actually turned in our driveway, and it was my best friend at the time, and he came back into my room, and and he just paid me a visit. We didn't get to go outside like we usually do. We didn't get to trade baseball cards like we usually do. We didn't talk for long. He didn't stay for long. But I remember that visit. 20 years later, I remember that visit. I don't have a clue what we talked about, but I remember that he came, and it showed that he cared. The other visit that I remember in my life very well happened probably almost seven years ago now, and it was when my grandfather died. Uh, man who I dearly loved. And when I was um, there at the funeral, uh, Lindsay, after we'd been dating for maybe only a couple months, showed up. She came. Um, Even though she had herself met my grandfather only once, she came because she cared for me. And I will always remember that, and it means the world to me that she came. Well, at Christmas we were reminded that we worship a God who cares because He came. 
God came to this earth. He entered into the mess that we have made, the mess that we made in rebellion against Him because He cares. Right? We call this the incarnation, when God took on human flesh. And who is like our God that would leave the privileges and the glory and the power that He had in heaven to come and be humble and weak and limited like us human beings. Who does that? What a mighty God we serve. The incarnation is filled with splendor and wonder. Yet God did more than just come, right? God came because he cared, and then his compassion compelled him to do something. And he helped us in, way, in a way in which we could not help ourselves. Jesus Christ, he suffered in our place, died on a cross to forgive us of our wrongs, and then rose again three days later to offer forgiveness and to offer the gift of peace with God peace with God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Yet we live in a world where hate and envy continue to lash out in violence. We live in a world that is insecure. We live in a world where peace among men, if it exists at all, is fragile. And at any moment, Conflict is ready to ensue. Wars between nations are ready to break out. Rivalry between friends. Feuds between family. Shalom, peace, does not reign here. And in a world where despair hovers like a dark gray, overcast sky. There is much longing for better days, much longing for brighter days, much longing for peace. Of course, longing for peace is not the same as hope for peace because hope actually has confidence. It puts its confidence in the future. It awaits the future events with anticipation. It expects fulfillment. And the point of last week's message, even if you weren't here, the point was that our hope is not found in better circumstances alone, but our hope is rooted in a person, in the one who can bring those better circumstances. And that person, as Scripture reveals to us, is Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and brought peace between man and God, and after he died and rose again, promised that he would come again. And when he comes again, he would bring total peace, peace on earth with him. He would reign and rule in peace. And so for that, we hope. And this Christmas, and through this message series, I am encouraging you not just to reflect back on the God who came, as marvelous as that is, but to also look forward. I'm encouraging you to hope, to await the peace that he will bring when he comes again. And so today what I want to do is I want to take you to another place in Scripture, in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. 
where God reveals to us another picture, another portrait of what this coming peace looks like. And he tells us who the one who brings it is also like. So go there if you have a Bible, you have a Bible app to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah uh, was a prophet, much like Micah, and we studied Micah's book last week. And Isaiah and Micah, they lived around the same time. This was about 700 years before Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. And here, in Isaiah chapter 9, God speaks through Isaiah with surety that Jesus would come and of what he would ultimately bring with him. Read with me in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt in the land of Zebulun, in the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then in verse 2 there's a song. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You, God, have multiplied the nation. You, God, have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from the time forth and evermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this the first verse here in Isaiah chapter 9 it holds out to us a picture of hope and it also points back to the previous chapter Isaiah had been talking about how there would be a time in which God would punish, discipline His people Israel. They would be disciplined for their unfaithfulness to God, and they would be overtaken by enemies and exiled away from their land. It would be dark days for Israel. It would be dim, filled with gloom and anguish. But here Isaiah holds out hope that this anguish would not last forever, that this gloom would not end in doom, and that light would break into the darkness. And we see that in verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It says, those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And then there's joy that comes in verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So Isaiah has been saying, dark days are coming, but yet 
joy will come again. In fact, greater joy will come. Israel will be transformed from those who were conquered to the conquerors. From those who were defeated to those who became victorious. And the gospel proclaims to the church that this joy for Israel would be shared by the joy, would be shared by the church. This is our joy as well. It is the joy and the hope of everyone who follows Jesus Christ. But the question is, how will God bring about this joy? How is God going to bring about this gladness for his people? Well, that question is answered in three ways in verses 4, 5, and 6. Verse 4 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. So the first way that God is going to bring joy to his people is that God is going to overtake the oppressive forces. God will disarm all evil. He's going to get rid of it. He's going to overcome it. He's going to defeat it. And when Isaiah says that God will break the power of evil as on the day of Midian, he's thinking back to a story, an event that happened in the history of Israel that is a powerful story of how God operates on behalf of his people. It's a story that's found in in Judges chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but you can read it on your own time later. And in Judges chapter 7, we learn that in this time in Israel's history, Gideon was the leader. Gideon was the commander-in-chief. He commanded the Lord's army. And Gideon, you know, if you know anything about Gideon, he he was not a very um, courageous leader. He was filled with reluctance and hesitation. Right, so no one writes a book on how to be a great leader by looking at the principles in Gideon's life. You just don't do that. Gideon was not really your, your great, um, honored, kind of heroic leader that you think of. Yet God chose Gideon to lead his people and to command the army of Israel. And so Gideon marched to battle against the Midianites with 32,000 soldiers. 32,000 soldiers. That's an impressive army. That's a lot of people. So that had to help Gideon's confidence somewhat, right? I mean, there's strength in numbers. But God, he looked at the 32,000 and he said, that's too many. And so he told Gideon to tell anyone who was, who was scared, who, anyone who was afraid of battle to go home. And so Gideon did, and what happened was that 22,000 left. That's two-thirds of Gideon's army that just packed it up, called it quits, and went home. So Gideon was now probably looking at the men that were left with him, the 10,000 men, and was saying, that's too few to face the Midianites. But God told Gideon, no, that's still too many to face the, Gideonite, to face the Midianites. And so God whittled it down to 300 men. With 300 men, God said, Gideon, there's your army. Now go fight the Midianites. Well, Gideon did. He was faithful and obedient to God, and God gave them the victory. Now, would you rather fight with 32,000 men or 300 men? If I'm going into battle, I want, I want 32,000, right? I want as many as I can get. But God wanted to make it obvious that Israel's victory was not 
through their own power, but was by His power and His power alone. It was an incredible victory. It was an improbable victory. It was an impossible victory, but God showed that He can do the impossible. God showed His strength through the weakness of Israel's army. And so when Isaiah is referring to this event, when he's saying that God will deliver his people from evil like in the day of Midian, Isaiah is pointing us to the fact that God is going to work in such a way that it's going to highlight his power, it's going to highlight his strength by using human weakness. God chose 300 men to win the victory for a nation. And he chose a baby to be the hope for all mankind. Furthermore, he chose a criminal's cross to be the means in which he brings salvation to the world. God would lift the burden of sin and the oppression of evil by his own power. Well, back in Isaiah 9, verse 5, um, It gives us a second way that God would bring this lasting joy for his people. Verse 5 goes a step further to say that the oppression that God would end, the way that he would do it would be that he would end conflict and rivalry and strife. All of that was going to cease. It says in verse 5, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So what's that saying? It's saying that there's going to be no more battles. It's saying there's going to be no more wars. In his commentary, I love this, John Oswald, he writes, If even the boots and the cloaks of the soldiers are being burned, we may be sure that the weapons are disposed of too. The boots whose tread shook the earth are now silent. The cloaks in whose fabric is mixed the blood of conqueror and conqueror are now Feeding the flames. Wars have ceased to the end of the earth. Think about that. Imagine that. No more conflict. No more strife. No more rivalry. No more envy. No more bitterness. No more fighting. This is a world rid of violence, and full of peace. Now there are people who say that when the Bible presents a future like this, it's, it's just wishful thinking. It's just ideas. And, and, and these people, they might say that, well, if, if these ideas, if these wishful thoughts help you to feel better about yourself and they help you to get along with one another, then that's fine for you, but it's really not going to happen. They don't put their hope in what Scripture says is going to happen in the future. They, They just don't believe it. Well, to that, I would say that if this peace, which God promises in His Word, if, if it is to be more than just a dream, more than just wishful thinking, more than just ideas, if it is to be real, incarnate, tangible, experienced, pervasive in our world, if it is something that we are to truly hope for, then examine the person that the Bible says is going to bring about this peace. Is the Messiah that the Bible presents to us, is he real? Is he fact or is he fiction? 
right? Because if the Messiah that the Bible promises, if he himself is nothing more than just wishful thinking, then there is no reason to think any more about this future peace. But if the Messiah is real, if he is tangible, if he is incarnate, then we can also believe and have the confidence that the peace in which the Bible promises this Messiah will bring will be real and experienced as well. Verse 6, it gives us the final answer for how God will bring about such joy by pointing us to this person who will disarm evil and put an end to all conflict. So look with me again at Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. The promised Messiah, this coming deliverer, we learn would have a very human arrival. He would be born as a baby, helpless, dependent, needing his mother for protection and food. But yet we also learn that this child who was born is also a son who was given, a pre-existing son, given at just the right time. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, probably one of my favorite Christmas verses, the New Testament speaks of Jesus and says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. See, God's plan to put an end to this vicious cycle of of envy and jealousy and arrogance and strife and conflict and oppression was not for himself to become more oppressive, more arrogant. It was not for him to flex his muscles, but to become humble and submissive. God did not choose to stir up nature and the natural forces to get men to cower. Instead, he chose to submit himself to the laws of nature. That's incredible. This promised Messiah is Jesus, God's Son. Fully God, fully man. He's Emmanuel, God with us. You know, something to consider is why is there conflict in our world today? Conflict between nations, conflict between spouses. Why, why does it exist? Why is there conflict? What's the source of it? What's the root of it? Well, James 4, verses 1 and 2, gives us a clear answer. James 4, 1 and 2 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It asks that question. It says, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Peace is interrupted because of our selfish desires. The reason there is conflict is because I want what I want, you want what you want, and what I want is not what you want, what you want is not what I want. Do you get that? 
Right? I have desires, and you have desires, and those desires are not the same, and so there's tension, there's conflict. When you stand in my way, I'm going to do everything I can to get you out of my way. Conflict is rooted in the desires of the human heart. Why is that important for us to know? Why is that important for us to consider? Well, here's the deal. Man cannot arrive at peace on his own because man is the source of conflict. Conflict is rooted within man. It's within our hearts. It's within our corrupted desires. Therefore, we cannot put our hope in ourselves to bring about a more peaceful world. We need a Savior who is not tainted by this desire to rise above other people, who is not tainted by this craving for self-advancement. We need a Savior who demonstrates power, not by putting others asunder, but by putting Himself below others, by becoming weak and serving. This Savior can only be the God-man Jesus, who said that He came to serve. Verse 6 says that the one we know is Jesus says that the government shall be upon his shoulder. Jesus is the king of kings who will one day rule over all nations. But unlike other rulers who place heavy burdens upon his people, while they sit back in luxurious palaces, living comfortable lives, Jesus would come and take the burden of his people upon himself. He would carry the weight of our sin upon his shoulders. He became poor so that we might become rich, so that we might become kings and queens. And it says that his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I invite you to reflect upon these titles. You know, names, they, they mean something. Titles, they point to what a person does in their character. Kind of like I was at a Christmas party last night, and one of Lindsay's cousins told me the story of how he bought two cows, and he named the first one T and the second one Bone. Uh, I probably just offended any of you who are vegetarians, but, but that helped him understand what the f- purpose of those cows would serve, right? And these names help to, that better not be the only thing you remember today, okay? All right. These names of Jesus help us to remember what he came to accomplish, who he is, what he will ultimately accomplish. All right, so wonderful counselor. Think about that. Meditate on that. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful means nothing is dull. He's full of splendor and wonder, and he is the source of wisdom. Right, he is that person that you can go to and just... They give you advice that just parts the fog and gives you clarity into life. His counsel will not be in strategies for war. His power will not be exerted by force. He's a wonderful counselor. He's mighty God. He has the power to execute his will. What what others have good intentions of accomplishing but cannot, he can 
and He will. He has power so great that it can absorb all the evil which can be hurled at it until there is no more evil left to hurl. He's everlasting Father. He is the source of eternity. Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. And He gives and He creates eternal life for others, for us. And He is the Prince of Peace. He's the one that when he comes, he will bring about shalom. He will bring about wholeness and goodness and well-being. He will bring harmony among relationships. His reign will not be of war-making, but of peacemaking. And where Jesus rules, there is peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. It says, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is our hope. It will be done. You can count on it. In John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Is that not good news? That is good news. Jesus has overcome the world. Well, application of this passage is is rather straightforward. Scripture tells us that where Jesus rules, there's peace. But where selfish desire rules, there's conflict, there's strife, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's bitterness, there's hatred, there's violence. So the simple question today is, who rules in your life? Who rules? Who rules in your marriage? If Jesus rules in your marriage, then your marriage will be characterized by peace. If Jesus rules in your home, then your family will be characterized by peace. But if you fight for prominence against Jesus, if you fight to rule and you want your desires fulfilled, there will be conflict. There will be strife. So this Christmas, I encourage you not just to remember the one who came, but to also hope for his coming again in which he will bring peace unto all the earth. And while you wait, that you would make a commitment that you would live for Jesus first. That you would let him rule your life and that even in the midst of this tribulation, you would experience his peace because he has overcome the world. Will you pray? Father, what incredible news this is that you have overcome the world, the world in which we struggle in, the world in which we do find conflict and strife. And Father, I pray that we would see the worthiness of your son Jesus and and just the incredible gift that he is to us, that we would accept him as leader and Lord of our lives and that we would experience the peace that he promises. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and to sing out to this mighty Savior of ours. As always, if you want to 
learn more about who this Jesus is and how to enter a relationship with him, I'm here and I would love to talk to you either during this time of invitation or even after the service. But you respond as God's spirit prompts you. Well, indeed, I can sleep in heavenly peace because I've got a risen Savior, and uh, I'm tickled to death uh, about today. I'm tickled to death that I've got a Savior that was born to me today. I hope y'all can worship in that and glory in that. Uh, for our announcements this week, uh, pa uh, Pastor Marvin is uh, our deacon of the week, and I know good and well he'll be uh, thrilled uh, to serve you uh, this week, so please call him. Um, as far as our announcements go, uh, deacons meeting next uh, Sunday at uh, 4.30 in the large conference room. Guys, don't uh, forget that. Don't forget to pick up your mail uh, back there where Brother Fred is standing by our uh, uh, mail delivery area. Um, free Christmas or free community breakfast on Christmas morning uh, from 7.30 to 10 o'clock at Granny's Kitchen. And if you guys would like to serve, uh, please just contact uh, Kent or Lisa. To help with that, there will be no activities on Wednesday night, uh, December 26th. And tonight, uh, what I've been looking forward to for a long time uh, is uh, the FBI kids are presenting uh, Noel the First. Uh, we will have a church-wide fellowship afterwards. So if you guys would just bring some uh, uh, Christmas goodies uh, and some soft drinks to share with one another. Um, we also have the opportunity to serve on Christmas Day at 4.30 at uh, the Salvation Army uh, Shelter in Hickory. Uh, volunteers are needed, and if you would like to uh, help with that, please see Miss Rose. Also, uh, the donations are due today. Um, they still need uh, blankets, gloves, mittens, scarves, toboggans, uh, razors, and deodorant uh, so that they can make up uh, gift bags. Um, if you'd like to, per to give money as opposed uh, to providing those items, you just need to see Miss Rose today. And they will be assembling those bags uh, from 2 to 4 today. Is that correct? On Monday, I don't read very well. Okay. Uh, also, uh, need to see Miss Libby Hips uh, in the next few weeks uh, prior to our pastoral vote uh, on the January 13th to verify church membership status. Um, only members can vote, so please see her. Does anybody else have? Okay. So I guess I'll turn it back I, over to Pastor Brown. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna ask uh, Baxter and Scott to come up, and. Um, have a chair here. Grab some mics. Going to do a little bit of an interview here. Um, this Sunday is actually the last Sunday that Baxter uh, will be with us. Um, and we uh, appreciate his time that he's come and to lead us in, in worship. And um, so just wanted to kind of give some uh, Scott is the head of the personnel team, so I asked him up here and, and just kind of want to give the church a sense of, of what this transition is going to look like. Um, and so first I just want to ask Baxter, uh, you know, as you have been here, uh, part of First Baptist Iker, what are some ways in which you see God at work uh, that have encouraged you? I think the, the biggest way is just from, uh, just from the time we came in, I think the first Sunday that we visited, we left talking about how warm and and friendly and how genuine the church was and how much you guys talked about Jesus. And after being here and hearing what you guys have gone through uh, over the past few years, just as your struggles as a church, struggles personally, um, just how faithful you guys have been to, uh, to Jesus. The fact that you guys are sitting here on a Sunday morning at all um, is, is 
just incredible uh, after seeing what, what you guys have been through. But the fact that you've been faithful to Jesus to show up and worship, it's just so encouraging to come in on a, on a Sunday morning. And um, especially I can remember three or four times, um, you know, just coming in singing How Great Thou Art, and you guys belting it out from all over the, the congregation. So that's just such, a, such an encouragement to me uh, and so much a part of your witness. Just be encouraged by that, um, that you guys are, are, have been that faithful through all the struggles you've been through, both per- personally as a, and as a church, uh, to still speak about Jesus and, and how faithful he has been to you guys. It's just amazing. And so how, what's next for the McGuirt family, um, Baxter, Maggie, and Samuel, and, and how can we be praying for you guys specifically? Um, we'll be, uh, well, I'll be back at Southeastern, so I'm at Southeastern now uh, pursuing my MDiv, so I'll be back there in the, the spring. Um, so we'll be doing that and keep my day job and uh, just moving forward. And uh, honestly, don't know what the next uh, kind of season for us in, in ministry will be. We'll just kind of... Uh, Pursuing education and then looking for uh, for what our next opportunity is going to be, where God calls us next. Okay. And if you could say one thing uh, to the people of Eichard that would spur them on in their faith, what what would that one thing be? You gave a future pastor a mic, and then you asked if he could say one thing. To... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you didn't give him a time limit, though. So. Um, no, I just say, um, and just it comes out of that uh, uh, what I just said a minute ago about how. How amazing it is that you guys have been so faithful um, to come and to talk about Jesus and to show up in your witness. Uh, just encourage you in that um, and just continuing to be faithful as I kind of thought about that this week, um, just in thinking about things. Um, it, your endurance has been amazing over this past couple of years, and, and the, only, the only thing I would really say is just uh, continue in that. Uh, continue giving glory to Jesus for what he has done and continue in those things and don't forget where you've been now I know you guys as a church are about to uh, it looks like hopefully and we're we're praying along with you guys that you're about to enter an exciting new season Um, and I know in that there's new relationships there's new things that are going to go on Um, and just in my own life I've seen it both personally and in churches again as you enter into those new things it's easy to forget what's gone before um and to, to kind of maybe lose your way a little bit in that. Um, and I know you guys have been through, again, so much over the past couple of years. You haven't done that before. But it's just, a, just an encouragement to keep going in that more than anything else. Uh, just continue being faithful to Jesus and proclaiming his name no matter what comes. Uh, and we'll be praying along with you guys and um, uh, from Winston-Salem and just praying that, that all goes well and that you guys continue to be just a, a great witness to Eichard, uh, Hickory, uh, and just the nations as you guys have gone out on mission. Well, Scott, tell us, tell the church what's next uh, as far as kind of music ministry. What are the plans there? Okay. Well, I first want to say thank you very much, Baxter, for uh, coming into uh, our church and our, our body here at First Baptist Eichard. Uh Thank you for uh, your obedience. Thank you for your gift and your service. Um, bringing your sweet family in here and, and letting us enjoy them and love on them. Uh, so thank you for standing in the gap for us uh, during this season. Um, we've, we've enjoyed that, uh, getting to know you and, and just loving on you each and every Sunday. So thank you very much. Uh, since then, we have, uh, the personnel team has spoke with uh, Karen Robson, uh, Susan Denny, Susan McGee, and Christy Gregg. And they have uh, said that they would come in and continue to stand in the gap 
uh, for our church during that season. Um, they have talked about it, and, and uh, they are going to jointly come in each Sunday and lead us into worship uh, through our next season. So, uh, you know, we thank them as well for uh, committing to that and, and coming in and helping uh, lead us to the Lord each and every week. So thank you. And I'm sure that they would be open to new volunteers to come and sing and um, musicians to play. So seek those ladies out. Thank you for stepping up. Uh, Baxter, one thing that I want to say is I know um, that there's a lot of songs that are just fun to sing. And, um, and, and some songs that can highlight a musician's and a vocalist's gifts. Uh, but Baxter, you have chosen uh, songs for their message and their content and their lyrics. Uh, you have sought to lead um, us to, uh, to think well about the truths of God and, and, and to let that resonate with our hearts. And so I appreciate your humility in that and, uh, and pray that that will continue. Let's all stand as we pray um, for the church and we pray for the McGuirt family as well. I'll lead us. Father, we do thank you um, for these seasons in which you bring us your people um, to, to spur us on, to encourage us, to, to help us uh, worship you. And Father, I do pray for Baxter that he would continue his ministry as a worship pastor. Even if he doesn't have a guitar or microphone, that he would be using his life to lead other people to worship Jesus in greater ways. Um, Father, I pray for his family, that you would bless them. I thank you for the life of his one-year-old Samuel and pray that he would continue to grow. Um, pray for their marriage, that you would protect it. And in all their endeavors, that you would uh, bring them uh, clarity in the ways in which they should go. And Father, I pray that as they leave from us, that they would go and tell it on the mountain that Jesus is born, that they would tell it in the valleys, in the cities, along the coastline, wherever they go, they would tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for this church. I pray that as volunteers step up, that, that you would give them courage to lead your people, and Father, that they would lead faithfully. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Thank you. Have a Christ-filled Christmas.